Well, good morning, church. Sorry, just a random thought. I hate, so I have these shoes, and I didn't think about it when I got them, but the, the tread on the bottom are like indented circles. And so now when I walk places on surfaces like this, they like suction cup. And so like I'm trying to like, Andrew's praying, and I'm like trying to walk up the steps like, like I sound like an octopus, and it's just like, ah. Uh, but no, I, I'm glad to be here speaking with you this morning. Um, I had more knowledge that I was going to speak this morning than the last time, so I feel much, more, much better about it. Um, but no, we get to continue in our series that we are in called Jesus Said. Um, and we get to look um, at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and today we are specifically looking at Jesus talking about uh, how to pray. Uh, and praying is an interesting thing. Uh, something that I've learned is that if I have a group of students um, at Encounter on Wednesday that are just being rowdy and loud, and, and I need them to calm down a little bit. I just have to ask, who wants to pray? And the room will be silent. Uh, and, and it's amazing how that works. And, you know, maybe, maybe you've seen in museums where they have those pictures, and it feels like the eyes are following you and wherever you look. You know, when I ask that question, who wants to pray, I have like the opposite power of that, that, you know, no matter what student I look at, I just can't make eye contact with them. You know, it's just they're always, you know, look, you know, like, oh man, the ceiling's interesting today, you know, like. But no, prayer can be an intimidating thing. Prayer can be an intimidating thing. What do I say? What if I say something wrong? Is there something special I need to say to make it more likely to come true? Right? For me as a kid growing up, you know, I was always told to fold my hands, bow my head, close my eyes. And I, and I thought that these things were like requirements for prayer. And it took me a long time to realize that they aren't. But, you know, I thought, you know, like, oh, man, if I get caught opening my eyes during prayer, like, am I going to get in trouble? Like, is, is God going to smite me? Like, is, is that a thing? I didn't know what it was going to be, but I didn't think it was going to be good. And I also was also trying to figure out, I know God can catch me, but is anybody else going to catch me? Because they're supposed to have their eyes closed too. And I also, you know, with the folding of the hands, you know, I thought maybe it was like using a telephone, you know. Uh, back when you had regular telephones, you know, you, had to, you have to hold it right for it to work. And so I was like, well, maybe if I don't fold my hands, God's like not going to get reception. Maybe I like need to... Hold them the right way. You know, I don't know if kids these days understand what it was like running around with your cell phone in the air trying to get the right cell reception. But no, it would take me a long time to realize that that's not requirements to prayer. But I think this is an important topic to talk about. Prayer. You know, in some ways I find it to be a litmus test for our relationship with God. To see how we are doing. You know, and, and the easiest way I have found to communicate to students about their relationship with God is talking to them about their own relationships with those around them. Now, particularly, I like to pick on the junior high students who say that they are dating. You know, oh, you say you're dating this girl. Wonderful. How often do you see her? Well, we have math and English together. Oh, okay. You, you, do you spend time outside of school together? Not really. Well, how, how often do you talk to this girl? Well, I, I Snapchat her at night. Ah, okay. 
So you're not really having actual conversations. N no. Okay, so let me get this straight. You really only see this girl a couple periods during the day at school. Then you Snapchat, Snapchat each other at night, but you are dating. Yes. Perfect. Right, and this is how we treat our relationship with God at times. Oh, you say you have a relationship with God. Good. So do you spend time with him? Well, I, I go to church on Sundays. Okay, awesome. How about, how about outside of church? Not really. Okay, how, how often do you talk with God? Well, we pray on Sundays, and, and I pray before meals. Awesome, that's great. But do you ever just, like, sit down, you know, have a conversation with him? Tell him about your day, maybe ask for advice, maybe thank him for something in your life? Now, I want to be clear, you know, going to church and praying before meals, those are great steps in a relationship with God. I'm not saying those are bad things. I think those are great. But they definitely aren't the end-all, be-all of our relationship with God. And so the big questions that I want to wrestle with today is, is how can we become more comfortable praying? And what is God expecting out of our prayer? So if you would, you can turn with me to the book of Matthew Matthew chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5. And as you turn there, I want to give you an idea of what Jesus is doing with this section. Um, as with the, many of the other sections in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is comparing and contrasting. He's saying, hey, here's your current understanding of how things are done, but here's what it really means. Here's how you're currently doing things, but here's how you really should be doing things. And Jesus is doing that here with prayer. And so if you would, I'll start reading in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, when they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, in, in this section that we just read, Jesus is saying, hey, you see all these people praying like this? Don't be like them. This is the how not to pray section. And there are some really important things that Jesus is pointing out here. And so let's, let's walk through some of these. The first he says is don't pray for the sake of being seen. Right? He's saying, hey, don't be the person who, you know, is, is having a nice private prayer but finds the need to use a megaphone in the crowd to do so. Right? Praying is not for the sake of getting others to look at us. Jesus is calling the people who try to use prayer to bring attention to themselves hypocrites. And that is an extremely powerful word to call someone. A hypocrite. And he's saying that because the whole purpose of prayer is to focus in on God, not ourselves. 
And so we see that Jesus actually uses hyperbole here to demonstrate how we should pray. Instead, he says to close yourself into a room, maybe lock yourself in a closet, and God will reward what you have done in secret. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that praying in public is bad? Does that mean that we shouldn't pray from the stage on Sunday mornings? Well, no. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's far more concerned with the why than the how. Yes, he is giving us examples on how to pray, but his examples bring out the answer to why that person is praying. If you are praying for the sake of being seen by others, then, then your reason for praying is wrong. Right? Jesus calls these people hypocrites because this isn't just something you stumble into. You don't just accidentally do something because you want more attention on yourself. These people are intentionally twisting the purpose of prayer because they are self-seeking. When we understand the why, then we can understand Jesus is not saying we can't pray in public. We can, what God cares about is why we are praying. That we are praying to focus in on him who deserves the attention. Another way to put this that fits with the larger theme of the Sermon on the Mount is this idea of mission versus agenda. Mission versus agenda. Are we doing things to align ourselves with the mission of God or are we doing things to further our own personal agenda? The hypocrites that Jesus is calling out in this section, they're trying to promote their own agenda. Say, hey, look how spiritual I am. Look how amazing I am and, and eloquent in speech and prayer because they want to further their own status. It's about agenda. It's not about mission. And not only are they self-seeking in the manner of bringing attention on themselves, but they view prayer as, a me as mechanical in nature. Right? They view it as, as praying is like pulling a slot machine at a casino. You, know, you pull it, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. Yes, I got what I wanted. And this is why Jesus is warning against babbling like pagans. Right? Jesus isn't saying, hey, you only should pray short prayers. He's not saying, you know, keep it like, you know, 20 words or less. Perfect. Right? That wouldn't even make sense with the rest of Scripture. It says pray without ceasing. He's concerned about the why. Why are you speaking the way that you are? See, the pagans thought by using big words in their prayers that they would impress the gods and it would make it more likely that they would get what they want. It was agenda, not mission. And so now Jesus wants to show us what it's like to pray on mission, to show us the correct why for praying. And this is where we get the famous Lord's Prayer. So if you want, we'll read through, starting in verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you notice the difference between this prayer right here and that previous section of what Jesus is saying not to do? It's very different. That first line, right? For the hypocrites that Jesus was talking to, uh, praying was extremely impersonal. God is just some deity who either helps me or he doesn't. It has nothing to do with relationship. But instead, Jesus starts this prayer saying, Our Father. Which even saying our Father, I think it sounds a little more impersonal than what I think Jesus is going for here. How many kids do you hear today walk up to their dad and say, Hello, my Father. A little weird. Unless you're Darth Vader, I don't know. Um, But I think the type of relationship that Jesus wants us to think of when we are praying, and that's why he's using this here, is, Hey, Dad, can I talk to you? Hey, Dad, can I talk to you? That hits different. It sounds different. It's more personal. Now that I am a dad myself, this hits me differently as I was studying this passage. You know, there are a few things in this world that I love more than when I come home after a long day and I open the door and Magnolia yells, Daddy! And she runs up and gives me a hug. And then, you know, she takes me by the hand and we go to play in her room. You know, I don't care what my day was like before that moment. I could be completely exhausted, worn out. But when my little girl grabs me by the hand, I will get down on my hands and knees, crawl into her little pop-up castle with stuffed animals, and hide from Mama with her. This is, that's the type of relationship that God wants with us. That's the type of dad that God is. No matter what we have going on, no matter what he has going on, He has time for us. Could be the middle of the night. Could be in the middle of a hurricane. I don't know. God will be there for you. Because he's not just some impersonal God. He's our dad. He cares and loves for us. And this is what it should be like when we talk to God. Yes, God is the creator of the universe. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is absolutely perfect and always which is intimidating. But he's also our dad. The person who cares the absolute most for us, the one who has watched over every step of our life, has been there for us even when we didn't know it. And no matter how upset and angry we might become, he will always be there for us to turn to. And so the reason that Jesus is starting this prayer off with a statement and includes the next one is because it brings focus into who we are talking to. First, we need to understand the personalness that we are talking to our Father. That this is an intimate conversation. And the second, we need to understand and remember who our Father is. Hallowed be his name. That God is great, that he is powerful, that he is mighty. You know what that means? You know, sometimes when I talk with my dad, which most of the time has to do with, hey, my car's making this weird noise. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a, he may know the answer, he may not know the answer. But when we talk to God, it is not like that. He has the answer. He has the advice. He has the solution. We can go to him with confidence and knowing that he can give us what we need. Yes, he is our dad and he is almighty. The next why Jesus is addressing in this prayer is how we are praying. If we are praying for agenda or are we praying for mission? He says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That statement goes directly against praying for selfish agenda. That our prayers are not about telling God, hey, I want you to do this for me. Hey, I want it my way. Help me, God. But it's about seeking his will and having him show us what it is that we need. And God's will can be a tricky thing. You know, I think the reason that God's will is tricky is because many times we imagine it like a straight path, like we're walking a tightrope. That each of us has a very specific set of decisions that we need to make to align ourselves with God's will. And if we make a wrong decision, we're going to throw off God's whole plan for our life. Well, let me start by saying this. The only way that you are capable of ruining God's plan for your life is by rejecting God. That's the only way. You are not powerful enough to ruin it any other way. Otherwise, God's will is not just some tightrope act that we might accidentally fall off of and ruin everything. I had a, I had a professor in college, and he explained God's will to be more like a box, which to me, I thought it was ironic because most of the time when you tell people about a box, you're saying, hey, think outside of the box. But he's like, no, don't. Think inside the box. It's God's will. Stay in the box. But what this does is it changes our perception of things because, you see, instead of a straight line that we have to manage to stay on, we have a box. We have room. We have different ways to go that are still within God's will. And what this does is it relieves us from the pressure of making perfect decisions. You know, I, I've talked with our students before that, you know, picking a college was a hard choice for me. I felt this inc incredible pressure that if I picked the wrong college, I was going to ruin my whole life for ministry. And as I went through college, I came to the understanding, no, God could have worked through any college that I picked. And that's how it is a lot of the times in the decisions we face in life. Should I move to this town? Should I take this job? Here's the reality. God can likely work through, not likely, God can work through any decision that you make. When we're trying to align our lives with God's will, a good gauge to figure this out is looking at our heart. Examine our heart. Are we praying? Are we asking for God's will because of agenda or mission? Is it coming from a strong place 
to benefit ourselves or to benefit God's kingdom. We'll talk about this next week. Does it bear fruit? Are there good things that come out of it? These are good things to gauge whether or not a decision that we are making aligns with God's will if it's in the box, so to say. And this brings up another point. Asking God for things can be tough, right? Asking things for, from God can be tough, and here's why. Because if we don't get what we want, we don't always get an answer why. Maybe we were positive that the thing that we were asking God, that it was within his will, and that there's no selfish reasoning behind it, yet God still doesn't quite give us what we asked for. And that can be hard to understand. Make us ask, why? I, I don't get it. I had a friend in high school, and her mom was, was pregnant. Now, her mom was old enough that she was considered high risk early on in the pregnancy. Uh, and and the, the doctors could tell that the baby was going to have some health issues. And so my friend, her family, all their friends, they spent months praying for this baby before it was born. And unfortunately, at around two weeks old, the baby ended up passing away. And so I was talking to my friend sometime after this, and, and what she told me was she really thought they were going to get their miracle. They really thought they were going to get their miracle. You know, frequently we hear of miraculous healings, where we get stories in the Bible of the incredible things that God has done. So when it comes to that moment in our life, when we, it's our time, I need a miracle. And it doesn't happen. We can't help but ask the question, why? And I think in these moments that the importance of this prayer that Jesus is sharing with us comes through. That in these moments, we need to remember who our God is. He's not just some mastermind where we are the pawns in a game of chess. He is our dad who loves us greatly. And the reason that we pray for his will and not our own, again, is because his name is holy. He is the one who is great. He is the one who is all-knowing. He has a far better grasp of the workings of this world and there will be times when we aren't given what we ask for. And we won't have an understanding why. Maybe someday in heaven, God will be able to give us a reason why. He'll be able to walk us through those things, those hard moments in life. Maybe when we didn't get the miracle we were looking for. But right now, we need to be able to have faith in God and know who he is. To trust him. That he is doing what's best. And this is a great moment to look at the next line of the prayer. It says, give us today our daily bread. And I think this is a great segue because it's in moments in life when we feel like we've missed out, when we haven't quite gotten what we wanted, that we tend to overlook the things that we have been given. We tend to overlook the daily things that God has provided for us. And that's exactly what this means. The daily bread is that the fact that God gives to us daily. He provides for our daily needs. 
that it is by his love that we are able to live every day that we have received what we have. And it is also by his love that we are forgiven our debts. Moving on to the next line of the prayer. And Jesus here, he's not talking about debt as in money, that we owe God money. That would be weird. Right? Jesus is comparing our sin to owing God money. Right? And this is actually done a couple times in the New Testament. And I think the reason that Jesus uses uh, this vernacular here, he's referring to money, is because it makes sin a little bit more tangible for us. Uh, last year, just before COVID ruined everything, Sammy and I were, were participating in Financial Peace University with some other people here in our church. Now, Dave Ramsey, who started the whole program, uh, he's well known for this envelope method of budgeting. Right? And what he, so what he says is, hey, take out what you need for every budget line in cash, put it in envelopes, and then once you use it, it's gone. Right? And so this keeps from overspending. But it does another thing, and there's another reason that he talks about why he prefers this way of budgeting. And it's because studies have shown that people who use cash spend less money than those who use checks, debit cards, credit cards. You know why? Because money is tangible. You can feel it, which I don't recommend doing that for a long period of time. I've also read studies that cash is really gross. So... But, right, the sensation of having to physically give money over is what makes people spend less, right? So Jesus here is he's describing our sin as debts because who doesn't understand the crushing weight of being in debt? Of what it is to owe something, to have that burden on your shoulders and to feel that way everywhere you go knowing that I've got to pay this off at some point. And I think as much as Jesus wants us to understand the weight of debt here in this prayer, he really wants us to be thinking about the feeling of what it is to remove that load from our back, what it is to be free of that burden, the feeling of when you win the billion-dollar lottery and you and your extended family for the next five generations or more are set on money, right? Right, and this is what has happened, church, We have won the lottery. Jesus dying on the cross. I think what's even better is you have much better odds with Jesus than you do actually winning the lottery. But any weight that sin might try to place on our shoulders, we can freely ask God to remove. This is what we gain when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And appropriately, on theme with being mission versus agenda, uh, Jesus is saying, hey, don't just ask for forgiveness for your debts. Take that feeling, that feeling of having that removed from your back and take it and allow others to feel it as well. Please, God, forgive my debts as we also forgive those who have debts against us that we need to take this feeling of winning the lottery and allow other people to experience it. And the last line of this prayer is also an important one that can be kind of confusing. Lead us not into temptation. 
and deliver us from the evil one. I think it's confusing because it kind of sounds like God is bringing us into a situation to do something wrong. Um, But that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is we're praying to God to give us the strength to fight temptation and flee from the devil, right? When we sin, what it's really saying is, hey, it's either you choose God or you're choosing something else. And what we're praying for is is saying, hey, God, I'm going to find myself in situations where I'm going to have these choices. Please give me the strength to choose you, to flee from the lies of Satan. And this prayer is just amazing because it's simple and it's succinct, but it's, it's got so much in it. So much to learn. So much to grow. So how does this impact our prayer life? I know, I know a number of churches that, you know, they recite the Lord's Prayer on Sundays, and that's an amazing thing. Right? But this prayer is designed to change our hearts to change our perception on why we are praying, to change us from thinking of prayer as mechanical in nature to a personal conversation with our dad, to change our thinking from how we can use prayer to further our own agenda to how we can further the kingdom of God, to remind us to ask for forgiveness And to ask God to continue to encourage us to forgive those in our life that we need to. To ask for the strength to fight temptation. And ultimately what all these different things do is they help us improve our relationship with God. If you remember towards the beginning of the sermon, I said that our prayer life can be a litmus test for our relationship with God. It can give us an idea of how we are doing in our relationship with God. And so this question might hit hard. But based on your prayer life, how is your relationship with God? Based on your prayer life, how is your relationship with God? I want you to know that 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 question hits me hard. You know, I know many times in my life I've used the excuse that, you know, life's busy and I miss a day or two and I get behind or whatever. And I would use that excuse and then COVID hit. Life's not busy anymore. (laughs) But it didn't change things, so that excuse is clearly not true. But think about your relationships with other people. What would your marriages be like? Your friendships, your workplace relationships be like if you never communicated? If you never communicated, if you never spent time together? I know prayer can seem like an intimidating thing, talking to God, But I think that's why Jesus' advice, although it's hyperbole, you know, being exaggeration of going into a closet and and praying, I think that that's where it needs to start start sometimes, though. That if prayer seems awkward, don't go immediately into a crowd and be like, yeah, let me pray. (laughs) Take some time. Be alone with God. Talk with him. Build the relationship. And use what Jesus has provided here on the Sermon on the Mount to help guide you, not just in how to pray, but why. Why it is that we pray. And so to end the sermon today, let's, let's go to God in prayer. And would you join me? We'll have the words on the screen. And let's, let's recite this beautiful example that Jesus has given us.
So if you'd follow along with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.